0: Welcome to episode 38 of A Sporting Discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. I am AJ Mithun and we have a different kind of podcast tonight. I'm going to be joined by Andrew from his brand new $4.7 million mansion in the hills, and then I'll take it the rest solo. Are you there, Andrew?
1: I am, AJ. I think that's a, a, a slight overstatement, but, but okay. Unfortunately, it's not in the Adelaide Hills, so I won't be ducking down to... Adelaide over for the cricket, but that's okay.
0: Well, I'm glad you could join us and not get the help to dial it in for you.
1: <laughs> no, they're, uh, they've, done their, they've done their duties for the night. They're off home.
0: Another huge episode this week, Andrew. The Aussie cricket selectors have taken the nuclear option and blown everything up. Australia dominated New Zealand in the Four Nations Rugby League final. Uh, we're going to have a word with ABC Grandstand and the raw.com.au's Tim Gore about what that all means. And our very special guest, which I'm quite excited about, is Andrew McShay, General Manager of the Brisbane Heat in the Big Bash League. Uh, We spoke with Andrew about the Heat's new virtual reality app, uh, Heat VR, the Big Bash League fan engagement, how the Heat go about it, and much, much more. Now, as we always say, a discussion is two ways. Us here at ASD Stadium, and you, the listeners. Get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at, at ast underscore podcast or facebook.com slash discussion, so we can make sure we are talking about issues that are of interest to you. Now, Andrew, do you have any confirmations or corrections from last week?
1: I don't believe so. I think I think we're all clear. But because Come on, I'm we, not we, driving, deal in ab,
0: we deal in absolutes here. You either do or you don't.
1: No, no confirmations, no corrections. And because I'm not driving the, the Google machine... You're not going to put in the uh, the banger, are you?
0: No, no banger. We'll just get on with life. <laughs> Let's move to the topic of Recap. Proudly brought to you by Ultimate AFL Trivia. Search for them on Facebook, where they normally put out daily AFL-related trivia questions, but it's the off-season, so they're taking a small break. Uh, you can still get in contact with them on Facebook if you want to run an AFL-themed trivia night at your club event anywhere, anywhere?
1: Anywhere in Australia. Lovely.
0: Now... We want to thank our gracious hosts, the East Malvern Taronga Cricket Club, who let us host their annual trivia night last Saturday the 19th. Andrew, we had a great night, didn't the we? The fools. The <laughs> fools. <laughs> we had a great night. Uh, only some minor stuff-ups.
1: Only three questions that were, would you call them wrong? I'd call them... Debatable. Excited. Let's
0: call them debatable.
1: Oh, and debated they were. Look,
0: but well, what's, what's most important is the, uh, everyone had a good time. And uh, most importantly of all, a stack of money got raised for the club, which was great.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's what we're there for.
0: All right. Enough licking each other. Let's go to the main show. Time to talk cricket yet again. Uh, what a summer we've had, and summer hasn't even started. It's a three-test series against South Africa. Australia's down 2-0. Uh, South Africa's captain, Faf Plessis faced a ball-tampering charge uh, hearing today. He was assaulted, uh, in air quotes, by a reporter from Channel 9 at Adelaide Airport. And just to top it off, Australia's selectors decide to blow everything up and rebuild the team. Out of nowhere, after weeks and weeks of saying that they weren't going to do it. Now, Andrew, help me out. What the hell is going on? I
1: don't know, but I like it. I've been calling for massive, massive nuclear-style blow-ups, resets, rebuilds, whatever you want to call it for the Australian cricket team, for a very, very long time. I'll get onto that in a sec, because news has just come through, and we know that the foibles of breaking news on a podcast.
0: Oh, we so, love we love breaking news on a podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Saf Duplessis has been fined, depending on which article you read, either 50% or 100% of his match fee, that he will be playing against Adelaide. That's so, actually his is, second... So is that uh, a conviction? Second...
0: Is a fine a conviction? So he's guilty?
1: He's, yes. He pleaded not guilty. Um... He was fined. It's it's his second sanction after he was fined for rubbing the cricket ball on the zipper of his trousers pocket. Oh, uh, a couple of years ago. Yes. Now let and us just he,
0: say this. Let us just say at this moment, Andrew, that there's no suggestion at all that what he did made Australia play the way they did.
1: Oh God, no. And there's also no suggestion that the Australians had anything to do at all with this. Uh, I mean, to light, it was, I believe, uh, radio station SEN in Melbourne that really pushed it, although I have heard that apparently Steve Smith in the first test was seen uh, discussing something very in-depth with one of the umpires, and the Channel 9 camera crew were told to make sure they keep focused on fast. So, depending on who you believe, mm. the Australians either did or didn't have anything to do with it, but look...
0: Are we being sore you know, losers? Look, Are we sore losers here?
1: Oh, no, no, no. We were rubbish.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, no, I know we were rubbish, but this is a decent excuse to, you know, make an excuse.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on what's, where whereabouts you fall in how bad what he did is. Is having chewing gum and, you know, trialling different types of chewing gum with various sugar contents and then trying to make the ball swing. Is is that okay? And then where does it go from there? Do you have like little sugar sachets in your pocket that you just sort of dissolve on your tongue? for me, it's a non-issue. I think that he should have just been a little bit more discreet than sticking his tongue out and rubbing his uh, his fingers as if he was basically trying to make himself throw up.
0: <laughs> right. Enough Enough of Faf2 plus yeah, alleged, of alleged ball tampering. Let's talk about uh, Darren Lehman and the selection panel introducing a little chaos to the equation, getting rid of Voges, mm. Burns, Ferguson, many, and an incredibly hardly done by, Peter Neville.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Peter Neville, um, that's one where he's been replaced by Matthew Wade, and that's not for glove work, and I don't believe it's for batting. I think it's for team bonding, team spirit,
0: whatever you want to call it. Good blokesmanship.
1: Yeah. That's taking us back. Well, but someone who's a little bit more outgoing in Australia has always, always wants their wicketkeeper to be chirpy. And I think that that, you know, glosses over the one main role that they have, which is to take catches when the ball comes to them, which Matthew Wade was really poor at, in his last uh, stint in the Australian team. Remember
0: when but, it was the wicket-keeper's job to stand behind the wickets and not let anything go past him? Yeah, and then Adam Gilchrist came along. Uh, and uh, so did Quentin <laughs> Dukok.
1: <De> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the one that I feel sorry for, and possibly too, uh, Callum Ferguson, definitely, and maybe Joe Menny as well, depending on whether he gets another shot, Calum Ferguson has worked in first-class cricket for 12 years. He's finally got his shot after two knee injuries. One of those suffered whilst playing a one-day of 4 Australia. And yes, he ran himself out. Yes, he then played a horrible-looking shot in the second innings. But I think he's a a victim of circumstance where the Australians said, right, we need to completely regenerate this team. And we need the next generation of players. And sorry, Callum, at 31 turning 32, you're just not it. And he failed in the recent Shield match as well, where we saw Peter Hanscom score 200. And it, it's sad for uh, for Callum, but I can kind of understand what the selectors were doing. And I'm, I'm supportive of it. I love it. Sure, they could have got Glenn Maxwell in instead of Nick Madson. They could have got Curtis Patterson instead of Madson. But hey, I wanted nuclear, and they certainly went nuclear. Well, what, yeah. what do you what What do you think about bringing in a twenty-year-old opening batsman to to face the South African attack, Matt Renshaw?
0: Well, as long as he's batting in the day when the pink ball's not hooping around too much, then I'm happy with that. <laughs> Well, look, we've, yes. we've, we've advocated long and hard for under 23 players to get their shot. Well, first off, yep. for under 23 players to put their hands up, and that didn't necessarily happen. Um, mm. but, so we've got Matthew Renshaw, who's a Queenslander, Pete Hanscom from Victoria, who made a double tonne and couldn't be ignored. Uh, and mm-hmm. like you've just said, Nick Madinson from New South Wales and Chad Sayers, the medium paced bowler from South Australia, have come into the 12 man squad alongside uh, experienced test players Matthew Wade and Tasmanian quick Jackson Bird has batted well enough to get a recall. Um, (laughs) Now, Andrew, Darren Lehman has said that this will be the squad for some time moving forward, Uh, but Mm. our, our learned experience from comments like that is that they don't necessarily last very long. What do you think is going to happen here?
1: I think it's different this time. I think that the fact that they lost those three tests so badly in Sri Lanka and then everyone thought that they could come over here and paper over the cracks with a, a good home performance and they just haven't been able to do it. And it's the, the way that they've lost. And just after day one of the first test, they've not looked in this series at all. And I think one thing that I've really enjoyed is... The people who have been saying, oh, test match cricket's dead, no one cares about it, are the ones who have actually been bleating the loudest about the poor performance and (laughs) celebrating now the fact that there is a a nuclear change to the team. And, And it shows in my mind that test cricket still is the number one form of the game and people still are interested in fortunes of their country.
0: Well, let's look at this from a corporate point of view, Andrew. Uh, an AFL team announces a rebuild uh, or an NRL team announces a rebuild. People are reasonably patient um, and they understand that not much is going to happen for the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, do you think yep. cricket fans will take this in a similar vein or will the Twitter Warriors be out as soon as one of these folks uh, makes less than 20?
2: Oh, they'll certainly be out
1: in, in force if anyone doesn't meet their their expectations, but... With one test to go against South Africa, three home tests against Pakistan, and then a five-test away series against India,
0: they've got to stick Ooh, with them. Dark times, Australia, coming. Dark results yeah, are coming. Yeah. You
1: know, away teams in India don't perform well. We know that. So, you know what? Get them in. Just let them, let them bat, let them bowl, let them learn how to play at that level. I reckon Trevor Holmes. He he said he was the one who said we needed to usher in the next generation, and we're going to stick with them. And yeah, I think that um, I I believe him. So yes, there's going to be some, as you say, Twitter warriors who will just go, "Oh, Handscomb, he was rubbish anyway." But they've got to, they've got to start somewhere. And I I like the fact that Matt Renshaw can switch between. Uh, A strike rate of 40, which is his normal mode, Uh, but then he can go a lot quicker if required as he showed in the second and into the Shield game on the weekend.
0: Well, we will find out on Thursday when the third test starts. Andrew, it's time for you to go. Thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. (laughs) That's all right. yes. I do need to go and clean the the fifth bathroom. Go make sure all the uh, golden taps are polished and the chocolate comes out of the uh, faucets like uh, it's supposed to. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll see okay, you See you. you live in the skin next week. Good luck with the rest of the show. See ya. Sticking with cricket and it's time for our special guest who this week is Andrew McShay, the general manager of the Brisbane Heat here in the Australian Big Bash League. Now, with the sixteen seventeen season approaching, there's a, always a battle between the teams for the eyes of the fans and the engagement of the kids, and Brisbane Heat have come up with a, an Australian first project uh, to get their fans on board and excited. I spoke to Andrew McShay earlier this week about what the Heat are up to. Andrew McShay, welcome to a sporting discussion. Thanks for having me. Ah, great to have you on. Um, now, the main reason why we've got you on the podcast is to talk about Heat VR, which is a uh on Australia first uh fan engagement project that the club has put together can you tell me what it's all about
3: Yeah, sure look i guess um you know we've always thought of ourselves at the brisbane heat as, a, as an entertainment brand and you know with that in mind and and thinking about innovation and um you know continued sort of development we we um we started to to get into this digital space and Um, VR is such a, um, such a new, uh, new industry and, and you think about, you know, 12 months ago it was very, very much sort of uh, in its early days. And for us, um, we want to try to create, um, I guess recreate thinking through the mind of our fans. Um, that question that we've all asked as a kid growing up, no matter what your sport, um, has been is, you know, what is it really like? What's it like to be in the change rooms? What's it like to be out in the middle, um, and I guess from a big bash point of view, um, with limited home games, we only get four nights a year um, to to um, to experience what it's like on game day. Um, those are the sort of questions we asked ourselves, and and where we ended up was uh, was in virtual reality, which has been um, yeah extremely exciting.
0: Yeah, I've had a bit of a play around with it. Um I especially like the 360 degree interviews uh where you can well you pivot 360 degrees while the interview is going on, but there's also you can get a tour of the rooms, uh, head out into the middle like you just said. Um it's all really interesting stuff. So how how did the idea come together?
3: Um, Really, genuinely, it was it was about um, having a think about how do we, um, what can we do in the innovation space? What can we do with digital? Um, Look, we believe when it comes to game day experience, we put on one of the best shows in Australian sport. And um, how can we take that to more people? When you've got limited games, how can we take that to people in regional Australia? How can we take that to people overseas? And um, sort of went through um, that process over probably a three month period and spoke to a lot of different um suppliers um in this space and um and then we're away and, and ended up um you know developing heat vr and I guess heat vr lives on an app as, as you said and there's there's three key features with the app. One is um the VR experiences so you get to hop in the change rooms you also get to be out in the middle of the GABA. Um the second feature is using augmented reality which is you know really um really quite engaging in that Um, Our player cards, our team posters, um, our tickets, um, when you hover the app over um, those various items all come to life. So the days of, again, of having the poster on the bedroom wall um, as a kid, um, fans of the Brisbane Heat can now have that poster on the wall and hover the app in front of it and that poster actually comes to life. So um, the the AR, the augmented reality feature of the app, has been... Been really popular. And then thirdly, as you said, the, the 360 video. Now we plan to shoot a lot of that content over the summer and, and serve that that content through to the phone. Um, but I guess the second part to it is the full feature VR. So um, we've we've developed a, a full feature virtual reality experience, which we're rolling out um, through the community, particularly through Westfield shopping centres. Um, we've got about 80 days of events over the summer uh, that we're rolling into. Major shopping centres, but also major cricket events, um, where we're rolling out and, and fans can jump in, um, uh, and actually have a bat, you uh, can face six balls facing Ben Cutting, um, in virtual reality, standing out in the middle of the gather. So, yeah, it's, look, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, early days, we, we only launched about a month ago, but, um, we're seeing some, some, some great feedback come through and some, some great numbers.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt the the kids will be all over that, <laughs> especially them being yeah. able to be out there and have a swing at this and that. And, uh... At cutting in the water. yeah,
3: yeah, and it's really exciting. I think for us, we th- this is primarily, as you said at the start, being a fan engagement tool. Um, and as you said, it's, it's a first in Australian sport and also a first in, in world cricket. So we're excited about that. Um, but where we see it going is it's got loads of um, different applications where. You know, we actually believe working with um, you know, various data providers that that this can genuinely become a, a simulator for high performance um, and we can start to replicate conditions for our players to put them in environments, whether that be uh, opposing uh, teams against opposing teams or in opposing uh, stadiums around the world we can start to replicate some of those conditions and genuinely use it as, as a simulator. Now, that's not certainly what this is, um, but certainly next year or two, we, we see that's where it can go.
0: Ah, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that'd be a really good way to wonder if the, if the future was now, if that would be working a little bit better for some of our batsmen in white. But uh, I digress. <laughs> yes. Um, now, Absolutely. the heat. Uh, aside from the VR, what what sort of other uh, fan engagement strategies have you got going for the uh, for a match day, or and off the field, I guess? Let's say. Yeah. Look, I think. Um
3: As I said, we're we're always asking ourselves what's next and and how can we um, continue to uh, improve our our product and and continue to to engage um, mums and kids and families. And uh, I think one of the big things you'll see this year uh, at our games um, is we're planning to to turn the lights off at at, at the innings break. So um, we're pretty excited about that. Um, Obviously, it's been done in in some of the other major codes, but we we think it's a very big bash thing to do and we'll we'll put on a, a quite impressive laser and, Light and fireworks show at every one of our games. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think thinking along that space, when you, when you continue to, to think about entertainment, um, you know, it takes you down to some interesting places. So um, that's the way we will we, we'll continue to, to act. And, yeah, hopefully you'll see that and many other sort of new innovations at the Gabba this summer.
0: That sounds really good. So, obviously, a truckload of planning has gone into your off-field activities heading into the new Big Bash League and uh, Women's Big Bash League, um, let's take matters mm-hmm. onto the field. Uh, you've recently finished the, all the signing for your men's team uh, by adding Manus Labashain. Um The men's yeah. season starts on the 30th of December and uh, <laughs> Big Bash seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger every year. What are your, What are your thoughts on the men's squad heading into this one? Yeah, look, I think it's one
3: thing that, um, you know, we, we, with the BBL, we, we did win the competition in, in, in its second year, but, um, outside of that, we've, we haven't performed at a level that we've been happy with. And as we've been talking about, the off-field product's been fantastic, um, but we need to, we need to pull, perform better on the field. So, um, everyone's well aware of that. Um, I think we've, we've made some really good changes with the squad. You think about, uh, you know, a guy like Brendan McCullum who comes into the group, um, who'll play every game, um, we we've we've brought across Alex Ross who performed really well for the Adelaide Strikers last year. Um and then some young talent as you said, Marnus, um even a guy like Sam Hazlitt who debuted for us last year, who's been doing some good things through the winter. So yeah, I think the the group's in a really good place. Um and, and Sam Badry, um, you know, who's coming back from the West Indies as well, who who performed really well for us last year. So it's a funny game as we all know. T twenty. It's a it's a toss of the coin at times with um and, and that's why I guess as fans we, we all love it. So um yeah, we'll certainly leave no stone unturned. But um yeah, our first game our first game homes on the thirtieth, our first game away is against Adelaide in uh, at the Adelaide Oval on the twenty first of December. So uh, right, we're tough, looking tough forward <laughs> to it, it is, it is and I think um that'll be a real spectacle. Um as, as um every event at that ground has been in the last little while since the since the development's um, happened. So we're really looking forward to that, and hopefully we can, we can get off to a good start.
0: Yeah. Um, just out of interest, your international players, uh, McCullum and, uh, oh, I've just blanked his name, sorry. Sam Badry, yeah. Sam Badry, that's the one. Um, how difficult is it to get an international player for the entire series? Because you've had uh, Daniel Vittori before in the first couple of seasons, I think, who mm-hmm. wasn't able to commit to the entire season.
3: Yeah, look, it's challenging. I think with the you know, the amount of cricket that's been played, it's, it's always difficult um, to try and line up um, those guys um, that can, can can commit for the whole season. I think for us more recently, particularly the last couple of years, it's been um, driving our decision. Probably more around who we get is, is getting those guys that can commit for at for least the majority, if not all the games. I think that's, that's really important to the group to have that stability. Um, probably the first few years is... PBL was maturing. There was, you know, we were a club that certainly had sort of guys come in for a game here and two games there. And, um, you know, I think that can work, but I also think over a longer period, you probably want that stability. So it's challenging, but you know, you look at a guy like Brendan, he's probably perfect candidate where he's just recently retired from international cricket. Um, you know, he's, he's still in fantastic, um, condition and, um, you know, he's, he's perfect to come and play all games. So. Yeah, it's a little
0: challenging, but, um, I think it's important you try and get that stability. Yeah, McCullum will be fantastic to watch. Um, just over to the women's side, and speaking of imports, you've got Sumitri Mandana from India, who has knocked over a one-day century in Australia before, uh, and mm. Deandra Dotton from the West Indies. Uh, they're two reasonable inclusions to go with Beth Mooney, Jester Jonathan, and a couple of other great bats.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's looking like a fantastic squad, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think, um, Having both those overseas players coming in will just add that uh, extra firepower in that, in that batting up to what is already a, uh, you know, a, a pretty lethal looking, um, to the top six. So, you know, I think the girls were, were disappointed with, with how they finished last year. They started really well in the tournament. Um, probably didn't finish the way they would have liked. So a bit like our, 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 men's team, the, the women's team is certainly looking to, um, you know, to turn that around. Um, and, and WBBL, you know, it's, it's been such a, such a success. Um, and we're only going into our second year, I think we quickly forget that. But um you know, seeing yeah, more amazing. games this year on
0: yeah.
3: I think the you know, channel ten have been fantastic across you know, both leagues, but I think this year with WBBL to see more games on, on prime time um and on channel ten will be fantastic and, and you know, the the knock on effect that that has for for, for females in
0: cricket and, and young girls thinking about our sport is is fantastic. So
3: yeah, it's exciting
0: times. Yeah, um just uh, before we wrap it up, uh, just to the league as a whole, uh, how how competitive is it in the back offices in the top echelons of the clubs?
3: Yeah, look, I think it's obviously it's you know extremely competitive on the field, and that's one thing that's been so great about BBL is that the product's been been so good on the field. I think off the field, um, you know, I think we can we all lean on each other to a degree. I think there's um, there's, a, there's a good culture of, of collaboration and. You know, a lot of a lot of ideas sharing. I think that goes on behind the scenes. So I think the the, the groups, um, you know, pretty good in that regard. Around you know, trying to challenge each other and trying to set new benchmarks, um, whether that be through through marketing or fan engagement or, or sponsorship or membership growth. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely definitely competitive, which I think is only a good thing for the, for the league as a whole.
0: Well, and the heat this year have set a fairly serious benchmark that people are going to have to aim up at. Andrew McShay, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us on a sporting discussion. Hope to speak to you again.
3: Pleasure, AJ.
0: Any time. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Time to talk some Rugby League with very good friend of the show, ABC Grandstand and theraw.com.au's Tim Gore. Uh, We spoke about the Four Nations that just wrapped up on Monday morning our time, uh, how the teams in it went, a bit of trouble in New Zealand international rugby, and much more. Don't miss this one. Tim Gore, welcome back to a sporting discussion.
2: It is delightful to be back with you, Tony.
0: We love to have you on. Now we're here to talk Four Nations Rugby League. Uh, the 2016 Rugby League season has finished. Finally, we're closing in on December. Um, Australia are back at number one, where they feel they rightly belong, and they hold the Four Nations Champions Trophy uh, after going undefeated through the series and ploughing New Zealand 34 to eight in the final. Tim, what did you make of the tournament? Uh, look, I,
2: I think after a very slow start for Australia, um, where they didn't look that convincing in their match against the Kiwis, I think they they won that by a very short margin in the end. And right at the debt, you know, New Zealand uh, were looking to try and steal that match, and you thought, oh, maybe maybe they might lose it. Then of course Australia went on and absolutely flogged the. Uh, the Scottish invitational side—I'd like to refer to them as—did uh, the <laughs> grandfathering rule. Not sure how many of those, you know, like uh, said, "Oh, hey, I love a next um, I, I think, uh, yeah. But uh, they they put paid to them, and then they were worried they might uh, come up against a bit of stiff opposition from the English. And the English had everything to gain after the the Kiwis uh, drew, strangely enough, with the Scottish side, which was in fact the very first uh, point. Latter point that any of the fourth nations, the Minnow nations, had ever claimed in the four nations since it's been running. I think it's run three times now, and no side has ever even got a draw. So Scotland uh, overachieved there. But I think the moment we saw Scotland's uh, draw with New Zealand, it was, you know, something could have gone horribly wrong for Australia on uh, Monday morning. But uh, as we both know, it didn't. Australia was up 24-0 at half-time, and from that point on, it was procession.
0: Well, Tim, it's an interesting point you raise about New Zealand because we all watched the final on Monday morning, and we also watched the game, the second round game, where I think Sean Johnson was held up over the line after full time, mm. which could have tied the game. Uh, where are two for New Zealand. Uh, David Kidwell, their coach, is absolutely copying it from all sides for his, uh, well, A, for selecting Tohu Harris at 5'8", but also for, I guess, uh, more defence-heavy focus, which if it comes off is great but it didn't come off at all
2: yeah and look when the kiwis have had success and they have they've won the 2005 tri nations they won the 2008 world cup uh they won the 2010 um three nations four nations at that stage yeah four nations um, that was and yeah. they did do it they did it in every case not by defending but by attacking and it's always been their free form football and yeah you know it, it, you should note that Benji Marshall was involved in the two thousand and eight and two thousand and ten wins when he was the top of his form and he was he was probably the best five eight going around at that stage, and the rest of the side held up because the forward pack for the Kiwis is good there's nothing wrong with that at all and although there was a lot of clap for um picking toy Harris there um and, and he did have other options in Lola here and kuatsua um uh, after Lulawai got injured, you really thought to yourself, gee, there isn't a lot of creative play there. So he played, uh, Kidwell played a Craig Bellamy move at Melbourne Storm and put Tohu Harris in there because although Tohu's not much of a ball player, he defends quite well at 5'8", and he is more creative than people think. Having said that up against the might of the kangaroo side, it all looked pretty pedestrian. Yeah,
0: this is, uh, I try to avoid hyperbole here on A Sporting Discussion, but this is one of the best Australian rugby league teams we've seen going around, isn't it?
2: Uh, it's the best we've Well, in, in the sense that it, 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 a lot of the victories they've had in the last two years have been scrappy where they've got the job done. But that's the thing, they have got the job done. And, uh, you know, even with the 14-0 victory against the Kiwis earlier this year in Newcastle, um, the Kiwis were never in it. The, they didn't really let the Australians shine at any point, but they did um, They didn't really close them out, and it was a grinding style of football. But in the final, I think Malmaninga Meninga and Michael Hagen, the assistant coach, really gave them a license to play football, and uh, the passes stuck, and the individual brilliance of the, the players, specifically Blake Ferguson, who a lot of people question whether he should be in the New South Wales side, let alone the, the kangaroo side. Um, Ferguson actually had a great uh, tour, scored a lot of tries, and was named by the team as their player of the, you know, of the tour, which is high praise indeed for a winger.
0: Yeah, he shone on the wing, didn't he? usually he comes out of the centres.
2: Look, it's always been... Yeah, that's right. It, it, it's always been the case that the guy can be anything he wants to be, but half the time what he wants to be is a guy sitting on a roof drinking a cruiser. So, you know, if he can knuckle down and and do his job, he's fantastic in defence, he's great in attack, he's got fantastic hands, he's fast and he's strong. You know, he's got gifts coming out his posterior, so it's nice to actually see him realise them.
0: So for the Australian team, Tim, uh, do you see any generational change before the World Cup or is that this team will get the job done next year?
2: There'll be one or two little tweaks going through, probably like we saw Sam Tidey miss out on this match because he had uh, uh, James Graham-inflicted uh, head injury and a number of times James Graham's accidentally done that. Um, but we saw him drop out and big Shannon Boyd came in who had a whale of a game. Um, didn't play that long, but for, I think it was nine runs, ran over 100 a, a metres, didn't miss a tackle and made 17 of them. So um, there's no shortage of players to come in. And it's interesting that both Shannon Boyd and Trent Merrin can't get a run in Sky Blue at the present moment, but gee, that yeah. was good for Australia. Trent Merrin um, was
0: fantastic, wasn't he?
2: And, and I think Laurie is going to really have to mount an argument as to why Trent Merrin doesn't play in Sky Blue next year because he is a perpetual motion machine. He looks like he swallowed a sheep, but he keeps running all day. He's fantastic in attack, and his defence is really, really good. And he's hilarious whenever you see any videos of him either dancing or doing his Borat impression. So, yeah, no, I, I'm a huge fan of Trent Merrins.
0: Now, Tim, but very quickly, I, I want to touch on the English team. Uh, yeah. Let's leave Wayne Bennett aside um, because they'll need to figure out how to play for him. I think him. there's
2: quite a few people who want to leave Wayne Bennett <laughs> the
0: Yeah, the English press are just working out how Wayne Bennett operates, aren't they? Um What I wanted to raise was whether or not you think Wayne is going to select heritage players or grandfathered players for the English side after he's had a look at this team in the uh, Four Nations.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think he'll pick the side that he thinks he can get to win. Um, He's a pragmatist in that regard. Um, He's not a player and not a coach that pulls out on a player um, if they've had a bit of a rough trot, if he thinks they can Mm. come up to the bar. But... Players like Gareth Widdop. now he you would think that he would be, you know, a late Amazair to actually start for England. But you saw in, in, in some of the lesser matches against Scotland, he didn't play with it. He he had a look around. And I think he's going to have a bit more of a look around now at the other players that are available to him. And although the English were saying, you know, like Sam Burgess came out and said, he didn't particularly want to be playing next to someone who didn't know the words to God save the Queen, <laughs> um, or or feel passion for it. I think at the end of the day, Sam Burgess wants to win too. Yeah.
0: So, He'd much rather be holding uh, a trophy, wouldn't he?
2: Yeah, oh, yes, he would much rather be holding a trophy. He very much enjoyed doing that in 2014. And I, I think, especially after the rough trot he had uh, playing for the English Union side in the World Cup, I think he's got a bit of an axe to grind on the international stage. Yeah. And, uh, look, the English side looks good and is still developing. Um, notably, Josh Hodgson played a great, um, great tour. Um, and, and was very, very good. But there's still a, a class below. And they need, I think, perhaps to play together more. I don't think they're going to get that much opportunity to do so. And the problem is there's only really two sides in World Rugby League that you can play to get that vital experience. Now, the Australians, on the other hand, can split off into the state of origin squads and play top-grade football where they're tested all the time. The English and the Kiwis can't do that. Uh, Wayne Bennett will be sorely aware of that, and if he can find himself a grandfathered uh, player that's played in Sky Blue or Maroon, you better believe he'll probably go and pick them.
0: (laughs) And uh, when Uncle Wayne comes knocking, you don't say no, do you? Um, No,
2: not a a whole lot of people do, no. no. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, that's it, Rugby League 2016 on the international version anyway. uh, Let's make a bold prediction, Tim. It's hard to go past Australia for the World Cup November next it year is, hard is it?
2: To go past the World Cup, but it was pointed out to me by a fellow statistician the other day. It's been a long time since Australia won a tournament they hosted on the home soil. Ah, a long time.
0: Interesting to note. All yeah, right,
2: it's well over a decade.
0: Oh, all right. Well, we will leave that at that. Thanks very much for coming on again, Tim Gore, and we will speak to you again. Always a pleasure. Yes, that whooshing noise you hear mean it's time for the fast something section. Started out as five, but it could be anything, really. Uh, let's look at number one. Oh, it's golf. Uh, I really should talk to Andrew about what he puts in these run sheets. Golf's hot property, Texan Jordan Speeth won the Australian Open of golf in a playoff against Aussies Cameron Smith and Ashley Hall. Uh, Adam Scott was tied for 11th. Jordan Speeth's a pretty good player, I'm told on to the next and it is tennis Andy Murray who became the world number one last week won the season ending ATP World Tour final to consolidate his world number one he flogged Novak Djokovic 6-4-6-3 oh jeez fair old pasting does he have what it takes to settle in there at the top of the tree we will find out next summer at the Australian Open The Wallabies continue on their winning way on their European tour, beating France 25-23. Now they've only got Ireland and England to go for a Grand Slam clean sweep that not many people expected, particularly after the debacle that was the 3-0 June sweep by England. Uh, we're going to get Brett McKay on in the next couple of weeks to review how the European tour has gone and whether we should be happy or is it all a bit uh, premature. <laughs> Now, here's a good one, folks. Pre-season has started in the AFL, the AFL Women's Comp, and the NRL this week, uh, which leads to a lot of stories in the press about how people do their best time trial ever or have their smallest skin folds ever. Uh, Let's take Dave Taylor at the Canberra Raiders, for example. Uh, We want your examples of everyone's flying everywhere sports coverage. If you find the most excited early preseason article, please share it with us on Facebook, com slash a sporting discussion or tweet it to us at ASD underscore podcast. We love excitable journalism. We love excitable coverage of non-event things. So we want you to help us out and we will collate the best that are out there. Right. Now, as I've been recording the show tonight, Andrew has emailed me something about the Chopperoos that he insists be read out during the Fast Something segment. Uh, the Chopperoos, for those who didn't know, uh, are the Australian wood chopping team who won the title of world champions at the 2016 Timber Sports World Championship in Stuttgart, Germany for the third year in a row. Now, if you're an aficionado of wood chopping like I am, you'll know that's never been done before in the history of the sport. And uh, they also set a world record, 46.45 seconds in the final against Canada. And we know Canada are the all-blacks of wood chopping. 8,000 fans were there. Andrew, I've read it out. I hope you're happy. And that is it for episode 38 of A Sporting Discussion. Now, if you have an issue you'd like us to talk about next week, hit us up on Twitter at ASD podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion we will reply don't worry tweets or comments are signed off with either aj for myself or ad for andrew if he can drag himself away from his uh, luxurious mansion in the hills Uh, tell your friends to subscribe to a sporting discussion on whatever podcast service they use we're on pretty much all of them but if you find we're not on one let us know leave us a review if you enjoyed the show if you don't like the show start a twitter war with us and we'll get into it on social media you can find, listen to Andrew Donison on 3 Triple RFM. that's 102.7 in Melbourne, or on TuneIn on, Tune Radio for the Interstaters, 7.15am uh, every Monday morning, talking with the Breakfasters. You can read me on rugby league's home on the internet, or on theraw.com.au. Uh, now, remember your homework this week, folks. Uh, we want your stories of pre-season excellence, uh, your pointless stories of pre-season excellence that you find in the media, and we're going to try something new. Uh, we have a Skype hotline that we've used before for guests it's ASD podcast that's one word you can leave us a voicemail there now we want you to leave us a voicemail uh, with a question in it or a statement uh, and we want to talk about that next week it's a good way to get more people involved with the show that's ASD podcast one word a sporting discussion is our account name okay that's it for now we look forward to hearing from you and we will be back in all of our parts next week (laughs) you <laughs>